This month's episode is brought to you by the cache type EVENT! Wait, events are geocaches? Well, yes, at least in that they can show up on your map and searches. They're not physical cache containers to find and sign a log sheet, but you can certainly find friends and community there. They can be a great opportunity if you're new to the hobby or community to get to know like-minded geocachers and share in the excitement of all the adventures people love to talk about. Don't ignore events. Get to know your community or travel and meet people from afar. It's worth the effort. This is TGIF Geocaching Radio, a monthly audio show all about geocaching and the excellent adventures that await us. And I'm Jeff, a.k.a. The Bruce Zero, so stay tuned and let's hang out. Welcome, welcome, and thanks for tuning in. First off, I just want to note that I believe the issue some people have reported about the podcast not being downloadable from Apple Podcasts is fixed. Streaming worked, but downloading the episode for some reason failed. So if you still have issues, please let me know. That said, I am excited for how well this podcast is doing. Thank you for your comments and feedback. I love hearing from you. Every month I try to bring you some interesting topics and news from the past few weeks, all to highlight the amazing experiences that this hobby can bring. So this month, we've got a sort of uh, grab bag of interesting news and topics and a bit of Icelandic speaking guide. <laughs> Winter has been up and down around here, and right now it's kind of down. I don't know about your area, but north of the equator in my region, there's been very little snow, and we even recently beat a warmth record decades old. But to be fair, we've also had a couple of deep freezes. Makes for some fun country driving and roadside geocaching. In any case, spring is around the corner and I feel like this is going to be another jam-packed fun summer of events and geocaching adventures. So let's dive into some news updates. Back in episode 2 of November, we had a chat with the talented geocaching musician Steve Weeks, aka The Travel Bugs. That episode released just before he released his own brand new song, It's Mega! Let's get this party started! They're pouring through the door to hundred and counting Travel Bugs on the stage rocking out We're filling up the house and we're gonna hit a thousand Not gonna stop until everybody shouts It's Mega! That project was a crowdfunded song giving supporters a chance to be a part of the song itself, being mentioned as one of the attendees in the lyrics. It was a big success, and the song is available to listen to on Spotify and other platforms. It was really cool to be able to be a part of that project. And, well, Steve is at it again, and there's not much time left. He's launched a Kickstarter to fund another original song, and this one is all about those attempts at high-count find days, called... I found 100 caches today. <laughs> the campaign can be found on Kickstarter under the Travel Bugs Music Creator account. I'll link it in the episode notes as well. And this time he's also minting a brand new geocoin that supporters can receive, as well as perk options like a CD copy of the song or a trackable CD copy of the song, <laughs> another Travel Bugs World Tour geocoin, and more. 
Steve is a wonderful entertainer and often shows up at larger events to perform some of his geocaching songs, sometimes with other musicians like Bugsy Travels and the Ammo Boxes. So go and take a look at the campaign page and consider pledging support to help him continue to bring smiles and good times to the greater geocaching community. Here is a quick contest update. Have you seen the Lone Wolf Legacy Cache Tour series on YouTube yet? If you haven't, or even if you have, you still have a chance to be one of 50 people to win a special prize yet to be announced, and I know that leaves a lot of mystery. (laughs) Project EGA is a labor of love I've been working on for some time now, and it's nearing time for it to be revealed. Cash the Line patrons are already in the loop, and development is really progressing. If you'd like to win one of those 50 exclusive prizes, then here's what you've got to do. Visit the Lone Wolf Legacy video playlist you can get to at cashtheline.net slash lonewolf and watch for special words highlighted by a smiley face in all but one of the videos. Once you've got them all, string them together and visit cashtheline.net slash and append that string of words and follow the instructions there. We're up to 20 successful entrants so far and the contest won't end until all 50 slots are claimed. You can find the instructions listed in the episode notes. I'm expecting to finally reveal Project EGA later this year, and I can't wait to share it with you. <laughs> this summer, the Cash Fest mega event is returning to Memphis in July. Look up the event listing at GC9ZEFF and seriously consider attending if you haven't already decided. This year, the team has a brand new component to the event the Cash Fest Vault. Leading up to the event, 45 keys have been and will be hidden all over, revealed one by one with hints to their locations, and anyone who finds a key and takes it to the event will win a prize. But one, and only one of those keys will be the one that opens the vault. So far it's hinted that there's a very large bundle of prizes to be won, including $500 in gift cards, plus autographed books, rare geocoins, and more. So. Watch the Geocache Talk network for announcements and key hints, or join the Cash Fest Memphis Vault group on Facebook to be the first to see new hints. Cash Fest itself takes place on May 15th, 2023, and the weeks surrounding it, and you can check out all that's being planned already at GC9ZEFF and by visiting www.cashfest.com. If last year was any indication of how awesome this event will be, You won't want to miss this one. You know you're a geocacher when your wardrobe is filled with geocaching-themed apparel. Maybe from dad jokes to trackable shirts to signature and brand names and logos. Who knows? But... There's a huge resource I want to share that's primed to provide all sorts of shirts you can choose from to show off your love for the hobby at artedcrafted.com. There's even options to customize designs so you can be unique. (laughs) And until April 30th, if you place any order and use the coupon code CASHTHELINE with spaces, you can save 15% off your order at checkout. There are some pretty slick designs there, and right now I'm waiting for one to arrive that I can start showing off in some upcoming videos. Maybe you'd love declaring, a day without geocaching probably won't kill me, but why risk it? 
<laughs> Arted Crafted can sometimes be found at merch tables at events, so you may cross paths with them once or twice this summer if you're planning to attend some mega events. Go visit the store now at artedcrafted.com and freshen up your wardrobe a bit and save on your order with the coupon code CASHTHELINE. Have you ever gone to a library to look up puzzle books and code books and ciphers and things? I recently signed up for a library card again. Yes, an actual plastic library card that you hold in your hand. To have a little freedom for perusing books that could provide some good old geocaching inspiration. I came across this uh, very interesting book called The Book of Codes. This thing is big. I'm holding it in my hand. It's a hard cover, maybe about an inch to an inch and a half in thickness. It's beautiful. When I first riffled through the pages, I spotted all of the go-to cipher styles, many of which we use and see quite often in geocaching puzzles. Uh, you've probably already seen one of the most basic. Uh, you use it to decode hints on the cache listings, the ROT13. That's just where you add 13 to each letter for its conversion. So A becomes N, M becomes Z, etc. But wow, does this book go farther than that. <laughs> Rewinding for a bit, there's another good book many people refer to for puzzling help called How to Puzzle Cache by Cully Long, which you can find by visiting cachetheline.net slash howtopuzzlecache. It's a highly praised book that teaches and guides you through how to solve puzzles with a whole lot of common themes and styles and ciphers to get started. Well, I saw this book on the shelf, and it didn't merely share about puzzles, but it dives into the origins of codes and writing systems and secrecy and mythology and modern ciphers and wartime strategies and more. The first section called The First Codes deals with ancient systems like cuneiform and bushcraft, animal tracking, hieroglyphs. The second moves into sects and symbols and secret societies, including Freemasonry, alchemy, and divination. It follows into Codes for Secrecy, with a chapter covering, yes, the Da Vinci Code, <laughs> hiding things in plain sight and the art of concealment. Section 4 dives into communicating from a distance with systems like Semaphore and Morse Code, and then it moves into Codes of War and Codes of the Underworld. Encoding the World discusses systems of information, including things like the periodic table and the genetic code, and then Codes of Civilization, Codes of Commerce, Codes of Human Behavior. And that leads into visual codes like signs and signage and music, the Arecibo message, if you know what that is. <laughs> and then imaginary codes, you know, think of things like the Bible code and the doomsday codes, magic and systems that people begin seeing patterns and possible messages from you know, confirmation bias. <laughs> and of course, there's the digital age delving into computers and programming and, and coding and languages. This book is massive, and I've barely scratched the surface. A number of years ago, I actually created a quick reference website to uh, help list codes and ciphers and tools that I came across, which you can find also at tools.cashtheline.net. It has a few web-based tools for quick help with decoding and decrypting, but it's primarily a reference link hub. I try to keep it updated with new tools and websites I come across, but now much more often in geocaching as witty puzzlers come up with new types of puzzles and coding strategies. But man, going through this book may well double or triple the size of that reference list. 
and it's a very visual book as well. So you can see the, the sets of signals and shapes and icons and imagery along with their explanations. And the pages smell so nice. <laughs> I highly recommend this book, which is also available on Amazon from cashtheline.net slash bookofcodes, all one word. All these links can be found in the episode notes as well. And even if you're not much of a puzzle solver, the contents could really help grasp some key concepts and be a resource for identifying some rather obscure codes. Think of the puzzles you could make using things like the pen and twig codes. <laughs> puzzles don't always have to be direct translations from letter to letter or shape to number. A good puzzle designer can think outside of the box and incorporate patterns and shapes into instructions to help decode a message. And sometimes, as puzzle solvers, all we need is that one diagram that looks something like that shape we saw in a puzzle recently to open the door to that long-desired solution we've been banging our heads on for weeks. <laughs> At the very least, it's intriguing and could just serve as a great educational read. I mean, have you ever heard of the Facedos disc? I think that's how it's pronounced. I didn't, but it was found in 1908 dating back to around the early 2nd millennium BC, and it's covered in symbols that are documented with names and numbers. Now stick that in an enticing themed geocache puzzle, or even a field puzzle. This is the kind of book that actually gets me excited again for well-designed and creative puzzles, though I might skip over the advanced math section. <laughs> Check it out at cashtheline.net slash bookofcodes. It's a nice one to have on the shelf. Five years ago, I had the sweet, sweet pleasure of tasting donuts across many donut shops in Butler County, Ohio, where a fantastic tourist attraction drew people from all around. Butler County created a donut tour and also partnered with Geocaching HQ to create a special geo tour, GT77, a series of geocaches placed at each stop on that tour to highlight the doughy delights. <laughs> Sadly, while that tasty tour lasted for years, it was announced in January that it was being shut down as of February 8th. I remember targeting the Geo Tour in my road trip to Geo Woodstock in 2018, joining a few other geovloggers and geocachers to dive right into all that icing. I pledged to eat a donut from every donut shop. <laughs> That's 15 different stores. Yeah, well, I quickly made an adjustment to have one bite from a donut at each. <laughs> Suffice to say, the energy after completing that geo tour was through the roof. That was a lot of sugar and a lot of goodness, but even more good times with friends. And you can watch that video from that little adventure at cashtheline.net slash donut trail. Geo tours are a great way to visit an area and see attractions. They're typically sponsored by local tourism boards and businesses, and because they're a financial partnership, the geocaches themselves tend to be very well kept and maintained. This Donut Trail Geo Tour was no exception. I'm sad to see it go. If you're ever on the road, check to see if there's a geo tour where you're heading. It's probably worthwhile finding a few of the geocaches, but could even be worth finding them all especially if they award a prize for completing the entire tour like a collectible geocoin. Premium geocaching members can locate geotour caches by filtering for the geotour attribute while searching. What's a favorite geotour you've done? Post a comment or send me an email to tgif at cashtheline.net. All right, I have an opinion. Big surprise. <laughs> but I'd love to hear your thoughts and feedback about this. 
So I recently heard about an event that was even self-proclaimed as a, quote, fizzy filler event. A fizzy is a statistical accomplishment of finding a geocache matching each combination of difficulty and terrain. That's the 9 by 9 grid formed by stars and half stars ranging from 1 to 5. It's an enticing goal for many. For some, it's super easy and others extremely difficult. A growing trend is to complete fizzy grids of even tighter requirements, such as using only traditional caches or earth caches, or in this case, events. A few years ago, it was still possible to host events with a difficulty higher than one. Today, it's locked down to a 1.0 difficulty, but the terrain can still be rated from one to five. So terrain ratings can be highly subjective. What feels like a 2.0 hill climb could feel like a 4.5 to someone else and vice versa, for example. But generally speaking, in any geocache or event rated five stars for terrain typically requires specialized equipment like a boat or scuba gear, a 4x4, or climbing gear. In Ontario, we have had five-star terrain events, for example, on a small island or in the middle of a lake accessible by boat only, or requiring a half-day hike way out in the wilderness. So I was curious when I became aware of this fizzy filler event that was rated five terrain, but took place in a rock climbing center. Intriguing, I thought. <laughs> that could be an interesting twist to require people to climb a wall in order to attend the event. Ah, but in the event description, it openly states that climbing isn't necessary to attend, and that it'll be the easiest terrain five you'll ever find. Now, I'm not anymore, at least, one to tattle on things like this because every region is different, reviewers have different manners of applying and interpreting guidelines in many cases, but I certainly imagine that this event wouldn't have been published as is in Ontario. So I was wondering what your thoughts on this would be. If I was near it, I'd certainly have attended and enjoyed doing some rock climbing. We have them here as well, and I certainly loved climbing walls when I was at camp as a youth. Got some fun stories about that. <laughs> But I'd suggest that the event wouldn't be a five terrain if climbing wasn't necessary, even if it's encouraged. Personally, I wouldn't feel like my statistics as a record of my experiences were accurate if I had attended a five terrain event but only sat down at a table and watched other people from solid ground. Of course, the other side of the fence is that it really doesn't or shouldn't matter to me whether someone else's statistics are accurate or not, because I'm not going to be analyzing every five terrain find to ensure they did what I think is necessary to earn it. I know this can be a contentious issue with people who are more competitive in the hobby or value the integrity of their statistics. So post a comment or send me an email. Let me know what you think. Would your reviewers have published this event as a five terrain? Would they deny a self-proclaimed quote fizzy filler? Would you attend the event and climb? Or would you attend it and just watch with two feet on the ground? Or would you attend but not log it because you'd really just value the social aspect? <laughs> Email me, tgif at cashline.net. Let me know. Have you ever discovered an old travel bug or travel bug tag sitting at the bottom of a cache container, realizing that it's been there for, well, probably an eternity, according to its owner? It's almost another level of treasure-seeking, rescuing travel bugs that, for all intents and purposes, have been considered lost. Well, Celia shared in the worldwide geocaching group on Facebook this happy story. I had a fun surprise yesterday. I received a message from someone who had found a TB of ours that had been missing for three and a half years. They found a camouflage container washed up on a beach. They opened the container inside was our TB. The TB was dropped in a cache in Mesa, Arizona in July 2019. 
The container washed up on a beach in San Luis Obispo, California, I think I said that right, last week. And later on, she updated saying, I just heard back from the owner of the cache in Mesa, Arizona. I sent him the picture, and that is his cache. The cache was near a canal and might have been washed in during a monsoon. Well, Mesa, Arizona to San Luis Obispo, California, that's 600 miles, traveled in three and a half years. Part of me wants to believe the TB was picked up and dropped off, but not logged by someone. But the owner from Mesa said the cache retrieved in California was his. That's just unbelievable. What a great rescue. The closest I got to that was owning a cache on a tiny little island with one tree in the middle of a small lake in Ontario. The first year, the cache didn't survive the winter, with its attachment cable dangling freely after the ice had disappeared. I replaced it with a better micro-container, but shortly after that, I was contacted by another geocacher who had been given the container from a relative who owned a cottage along that lake and discovered it washed up on their property. Geocache rescued! (laughs) Thankfully, too, because it's a nice pelican container, and I still use it now to protect some uh, items when going out paddling, like uh, wallets and keys. Hey, if you find an old travel bug, even if it's a lone tag sitting in gunk and rust at the bottom of an old container, its owner may have given up on it not knowing where it got to. It's always a nice thing to rescue someone's travel bug and to return it or keep it traveling. So make sure to pick it up or at least discover it so that the owner knows it's still out there and may return one day like the prodigal son. I've always been a little curious to know what portion of the global geocaching community are iPhone geocachers. (laughs) It's hard to believe it's now been 14 years since I started geocaching and I've only ever used an iPhone with iOS. But I think part of why it's gone so well is because of the power at my fingertips now with Cachely, the best geocaching app for iOS by far. There's also the official geocaching app and it has its uses. For me, that's mostly the message center and souvenirs. But I think Cashly has really surpassed all the other apps in features and functions and versatility. I've published a handful of videos showing some of its strengths, and I may just need to whip together some more tips and tricks guides in the future. I haven't been able to try out the Apple Watch integration, but I hear it's great. For now, I'm just happy with my cheaper Garmin Forerunner watch receiving those buzzes of iOS notifications like hiking and entering within close proximity to a geocache with the phone sitting in my pocket. (laughs) And the offline maps are a godsend when traveling. I highly recommend this app, whether you're a veteran geocacher or just starting out in the activity. Once you go cashly, you'll never cash rashly. (laughs) Does that even make sense? Find it in the App Store or by visiting www.cashly.com, C-A-C-H-L-Y.com. Another fun aspect of geocaching is reaching entirely arbitrary points on Earth that have some statistical meanings, like, uh, like confluences, where latitude or longitude values turn over and connect, like reaching a point where your GPS reads north 4300.000 and west 80.000, or sort of like taking photographic evidence that your car just hit 100,000 on the odometer right on the nose. <laughs> Sometimes geocachers place geocaches at locations like that for the fun of marking it in the hobby. You might even find a virtual cache there, 
Or perhaps a puzzle or multicache that uses some piece of information found on a marker that indicates the point that three region boundaries connect. The U.S. has numerous tri-state markers, for instance, and Ontario is large enough that there are a handful of geocaches at confluence points, sometimes in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> but in North America, there's one type we just don't have, and that's a tri-country boundary marker. A post went viral of someone showing the marker where Sweden, Finland, and Norway connect, and people getting excited about the boardwalk that surrounds it where you can literally walk between three countries in a matter of seconds. Unfortunately, you can't straddle three countries unless you've got three feet, or can somehow stretch your hands across the very large marker which sits in the water. But guess what? Yes, there is a geocache there. It's a virtual geocache, GC7BA6Z, and its name I'm not even going to try to pronounce. <laughs> it says this tri-country marker is the northernmost point marking the connection of three countries, so it does have a unique statistical significance. And you're free to walk the boardwalk and cross the borders if you have nothing to declare. <laughs> you travel a highway into Finland up to the nearest town and then take a tourist boat that will drop you close enough for a three-kilometer hike to the marker and this virtual cache. Or you could also take an 11-kilometer hike through the national park from that town. In either case, it seems to be a pretty active tourist attraction. You can even take a close-up look with Google Street View, which has some photos taken during summer and winter months. This virtual is at the north end of Sweden, so it could be prudent to plan a quick flight to visit this spot if you happen to be in Sweden to find one of the only four active geocaches that were placed in August of 2000 towards completing your fourth Jasmer loop. <laughs> you can listen to last month's episode number four to find out more about the Jasmer grid. And all the links that I've mentioned here can be found in the episode's show notes. One thing's for sure, this would make a pretty fun and unique, excellent geocaching adventure. I saw this month a post from a satellite event during the Yama Mega event in Arizona. I've never been to this Mega, but great things are said about this one as well. Anywho, in this short video clip was, well, a massive flash mob event. <laughs> flash mob events are intended to be the geocaching equivalent of those viral flash mob videos that trended years ago. For geocaching, they're the shortest an event can be held, about 30 minutes. And if holding to the flash mob theme, a plan is set for people to vaguely wander around, but quickly and immediately congregate at the event location, do all the things, and then quickly disperse. <laughs> Depending on the plan, it could be super fun. And this video had me entertained. There was an enormous crowd of people, most holding a banana to their ear, heading to the center of an open paved roundabout. I had to look this up. <laughs> it was the banana phone flash mob, GCA23ZM. And here's what the description says. If you have one, please wear a geocaching shirt of any kind so that onlookers will know who the cool people in the roundabout are. <laughs> bring a banana if you can. If you forget or can't bring one, we'll have some extra bananas available. Maybe bring several to, to share with others. Try to be near the roundabout, but not in it. You may see old friends or make new ones while we wait for the signal to start. Keep your banana hidden until the event begins. Be nonchalant. When you hear the amplified sound of a landline telephone ringing, quickly gather in the roundabout and take out your banana. After three rings, hold the banana to your ear like a telephone receiver and answer, Hello! a few times. And then begin calling out, Can you hear me now? into the banana. Move around a bit as if trying to find a spot with good reception, continuing to shout louder and louder, Can you hear me now? 
And then, of course, it all breaks down because Shout, the song then starts playing and people are instructed to begin dancing, waving their arms in time to the music. And as soon as it stops, to put everything away, exit the roundabout and pretend like nothing happened. <laughs> I mean, what, is, what does that have to do with geocaching? Nothing. But what a fun way to bring the community together and have fun. A great add-on to the time people are around for the mega. A nice little touch to this one, if you didn't uh, want to keep your banana, you could leave it, hopefully in decent condition, uh, uneaten, <laughs> and the extras would be donated to the local food bank. That looked like a great fun time, an awesome idea by the Yama Planning Committee. And another reason why it's great to get those local geocaching events planned on your calendar and to post those will attends. It is time for the Patron Adventurer of the Month. Cash the Line is supported by a band of excellent adventurers through Patreon who graciously pitch in and help the channel continue to grow and improve. And for this show, our Patron Adventurer of the Month is Seeker! Stacy is a longtime supporter, first joining the band of excellent adventurers while living in Hawaii. She has a YouTube channel where she's occasionally shared some very calming, relaxing geocaching videos just taking in the scenery and enjoying the ASMR-like staple sounds of a geocacher in their native habitat. She's since moved to the mainland, so I'm really missing those Hawaiian hills and nature scenes. Thank you so much to Seeker for your ongoing support of Cash the Line. You too can help support Cash the Line and unlock bonus content and swag, including participating in Project EGA, by visiting patreon.com slash cash the line. That's patreon.com slash cash the line. Your support is appreciated. All right, y'all, let's do this. I am at a tree. <laughs> this is a I believe it's a three and a half terrain. I am not quite sure what type of tree it is, but we're going to climb this thing with one and a half hands. <laughs> and it's not too bad, there's lots of branches. But uh, yeah, I thought I would bring you along for this little audio adventure. Uh, twist, twist. And uh, See if we can get this. This is a puzzle cache, part of a series from a recent event. <laughs> oh, there's some broken branches here. I am not going to break a branch today. Oh, almost there, almost there. And, uh, ooh, that wind is cold. Oh, where did I put a leg now? This is interesting. I think I might have to hop. Okay, switch the legs. Good, good. This is the fun. Tree climbs. Negotiating where to put your feet safely. You may know the guideline of always have three feet anchored. Or three anchor points. Okay, now <laughs> I see the container and it is just at the end of my reach. If you could see, oh, there's the sound. Can I get to it? I think, oh, the one-handed cap release. Yes, yes. And 
there is the log sheet. Got a muggle cark. Ah. This is when having bright jacket makes you look at least like you know what you're doing. So on that note, that is the paper. I'm gonna sign this log and thanks for joining me. Be safe out there. Climb only if you know what you're doing. And wear gloves. Oh man, it's cold. <laughs>
Its fissure was 500 meters long with numerous lava craters, and the lava was around 1,000 degrees Celsius and shot up to 150 meters in the air. <laughs> Later, another explosion began the big one with eruption columns up to 4 kilometers vertical and vapor plumes from contact with snowdrifts 7 kilometers high. An earth cache like this came with words of caution and safety, of course, with lava still being very hot and hazardous and risk of toxic gases. But what an experience that would be. I mean, take a look at its listing, GC26DMX, and check out some of the early photos. Amazingly, another opportunity similar to this occurred in 2021 and much closer to tourist access in the southwest, but without the widespread effect of ash clouds. A decade later, technology, internet, and social media were also much more prepared to make this a super viral event. I mean, there were people willing to record and stream video while flying their drones around and through the erupting volcano to the point of melting and losing the drones just to capture unique and possibly once-in-a-lifetime footage. That's also one of the reasons why being able to find a cache or an earth cache at a place like this would just be surreal. Well, the call was answered when this new volcano decided to wave to the world. This one, Fagradalsfjall, also lies on a major fault line that crosses through Iceland and began seismic activity in February 2021, erupting in March. This earth cache was placed in September by an Ontario local who visited Iceland and walked the ridge that leads to the earth cache with a view over the magma field, still active during his visit. Take a look at GC9G203 by Bugfinders, and then Google photos and videos from this unbelievable event. I'll add links to the episode notes and spellings of these unspeakable volcanoes as well. <laughs> these types of geological sites were really the highlights of my trip to Iceland, and while I didn't see erupting volcanoes, I walked to the rim of a crater, walked behind one of the most iconic waterfalls called Seljalandsfoss, which is used often in uh, very fantastical film scenes. <laughs> I crawled into an old lava tunnel to find a geocache. I took a dip in a small hot pot heated geothermally in the dark while snow fluttered around lightly. <laughs> all of these were part of one amazing adventure all because of geocaching. I even chose the fun of attempting to learn to some degree to understand and speak or at least sound like it <laughs> a foreign language. Geocaching can take you places far beyond your wildest imagination, long past those lampposts in the parking lot, down the road, past the old tree in the park and the gadget cache just outside town. The world is your oyster when you let geocaching be your guide. Even though they say geocaching is free, if you manage to adventure beyond your proximity range, chances are the return on the investment will more than pay for what you put in. Four days in Iceland and I barely scratched the surface. There's my challenge for you this year. If you do anything new this year, go and scratch the surface. If you have any adventures you'd like to share, I'd love to hear from you. Email tgif at cashtheline.net or phone one in and leave a message at cashtheline.net slash POI. We'd love to hear if you have any comments or funny stories, milestones, accomplishments, rants, and adventures to share tgif at cashtheline.net. Thanks for listening to the episode, and please remember to give the show a thumbs up or a positive review. Thank you to the sponsors, Cashly and Arted Crafted, and all the patrons who support Cash the Line. If you'd like to join the band of excellent adventurers, please find us on Patreon or by visiting cashtheline.net slash Patreon. 
You can support CTL and get bonus swag and access to exclusive content for as little as a cup of coffee per month or with a discount by the year. Links and references mentioned in the episode can be found in the show notes linked in the description. See you next month with more exploration into the wide world of excellent geocaching adventures. Please subscribe, follow, share with your friends, and comment wherever you're able. And as always, happy caching and excellent adventuring. Thank you.